there's five large UPSs maintaining the, the project infrastructure. And a couple of these were so old, they had rust on the corners. One of them had bulged sides from where the batteries had exploded, dribbled all over the floor. Theo and Nadine, his wife, had carried this out to his backyard on two-by-fours. Uh, and then Theo had proceeded to rinse it, hose it out, pull the batteries out, and replace the batteries and continue to use the UPS. Don't tell anyone I'm free Don't tell anyone I'm free Hello and welcome to BSD Talk number 241. It's Saturday, May 24, 2014. I've returned from BSD CAN. As usual, it was an excellent conference, and I got to spend some time with a lot of great people in the BSD community. And I did record a few interviews, so here's the first of a few interviews coming your way from BSD CAN. All right, we're sitting here at BSD CAN with Bob Beck from the OpenBSD Project and the OpenBSD Foundation. Thanks for coming onto the podcast. No problem at all. So it's been a lot of years since we've talked, mm-hmm. and a lot of years since I've seen you at a conference, so I thought it might be nice to catch up with what you've been doing and the projects you've been working on and the parts of OpenBSD that are getting you excited. Well, let's see. The, the projects that I'm working on in, in OpenBSD are probably, uh, um, I'm, I'm still actively involved in, in the kernel mid-layer and the buffer cache. Um, that's slowly bringing me into looking at uh, UVM and the, the VM system. And we, me and, and several other people keep uh, looking at issues we have in there and attempting to work around you know, problems, uh, work into modernizing things a little bit more. Uh, some of the things that are getting me exciting in there are work that uh, uh, I've looked at bits of, but uh, uh, Philip Gunther and Ted, uh, Ted and Unigst have, have done a lot of, which is uh, dealing with some of the locking issues in, in memory allocation and pools uh, to make us uh, a little more efficient on multiprocessor systems so that we uh, hold the kernel lock for less time and uh, we get uh, a little uh, more actual usable work out of a multiprocessor system when uh, lots of memory allocations involved. So that's kind of kind of low level and, and, uh, and fun. Uh, I'm continuing to, to percolate the large memory buffer cache diffs in the back of, of a few machines and they'll probably reappear soon once a few other things have been looked at. Um, and uh, that's in the kernel layer. Uh, I stick my fingers into lots of other things, uh, SPAMD, a little bit of BGP stuff with, with Peter Hessler. And, uh, uh, you know, I think, I think the last commit I actually made was to ifconfig, uh, <laughs> just because there was something in there that annoyed me, and I just fixed it uh, to uh, make it a little nicer to deal with uh, web keys, would you believe it or not. And just one of these things here and there. Um, I guess what's exciting me that other people have been doing has been uh, uh, a lot of the work we've had in, in ACPI in the last year uh, that makes us a lot more stable on a lot of modern machines for suspend and resume. Uh, we seem to almost be doing that better than anybody else right now because basically there's there's three ACPI implementations out there in the world. There's uh, Windows, there's uh, Intel's reference implementation, which everybody else tries to use, and there's OpenBSDs. And uh, the stuff that Theo and Mike Larkin and a few other people have been doing with that has been been really cool. Yes, I, I did test that recently. Set the 
control to say if the lid goes down and yep. open it up and hey it worked and yeah. that was that was great i've actually been running that way on on my laptops now for you know probably a good couple of years uh on modern laptops as opposed to you know we always used to just work on the old stuff and that's been 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 awfully nice to have and has has made it where it's it's much more usable for me every, uh, on a daily basis kind of thing um one of the other really nice things related to laptops and, and usability there has been uh, uh, the, a lot of the KMS and uh, Intel and, and Radeon graphics work done by Jonathan Gray uh, with Mark Katanis working with it. And that was kind of nice because we, in spite of the fact that we certainly didn't have a lot of money to do it with, we, uh, us, uh, us meaning the OpenBSD Foundation, wearing my foundation hat here for a minute, uh, we helped sponsor Jonathan Gray to be able to devote some time to actually getting the KMS stuff working uh, to the point where we could have other developers involved in it and, and take it over in tree. And that's been, been fantastic now that that actually works and you have, you know, basically configureless X accelerated and just works on, on the Intel, Intel laptops are, are really quite nice and stable with it and it even you know if you manage to crash it you can go back to ddb from x which is something we were never able to do before which for me is nice because i fiddle around and, and break my machine break my laptop a lot so um that's been kind of exciting and, and fun to have happening and, and see uh working out and i guess the other thing a lot of the signed releases and some of the infrastructure changes we've been doing for that and uh so that's that's in terms of what i've been doing and what uh uh, well, and I guess it goes without saying, the last few weeks or so, any of my OpenBSD time has been kind of taken over by LibreSSL because I've sort of dove, dove into that, and I'm one of the one of the players in in fixing that hunk of stuff. Which is why you're here at the conference to speak. Well, I, I'm actually here at the conference because I'm uh, on the committee, mm, so I was on the yeah. conference committee, and while I didn't come here explicitly to speak. I sort of told Dan that I have a Libra SSL talk in my back pocket, uh, and BSD CAN being what it is with BSD CAN and people flying in from the United States and the United States air industry being, you know, an example of chaos theory where a butterfly's wings, you know, a butterfly farts in the wrong direction and, and you know, chaos ensues. It, it happens every year. Somebody gets messed up and cannot make it. And Sure enough, yeah, poor Chris Moore got stuck in, in uh, Washington, D.C. and couldn't get here uh, with lots of flights canceled. And so Dan goes, oh, you're talking at 10 a.m. tomorrow. And okay, so um, I will be giving a LibreSSL talk here tomorrow. Uh, for uh, And I guess that'll be that'll be available somewhere for people to see. That's the theory. They're recording everything. I and think they're recording so everything. We won't so. need to hit that topic too heavily. Not too during, heavily, yeah. but you know, just in okay. terms of what I've been involved with, that's exciting to be involved with that. And you know, part of the, the exciting to be involved with that is not just, just LibreSSL. Is again, we go back to we're dealing with trying to fix, clean up, and make auditable uh, a foreign and somewhat nasty code base. And again, you know, we, we come back to we must have a better way to solve, you know, particular problems and so for example you know integer overflows in a memory allocation call and sure enough we said you know enough of this we've made a new interface in OpenBSD realloc array just like calloc without the zero but uh, 
you know, x times y for allocation, but that is checked for overflow within the function. So you don't have to worry about checking for integer overflow and memory allocations. And we applied all this to OpenSSL, and then we discovered, oh, hey, look, we should go audit the rest of the tree for that. So part of the neat part about, you know, getting together with the other developers and looking at how to fix a code base is you again come up with more ideas that, oh, and then you go back and you, you audit the rest of the tree for these problems again and again and again and, and start working on it. So... So that's been kind of fun. I guess as a tangent of the SSL software, given the history of signing authorities that get compromised or accidentally give out keys to people that shouldn't, and now with the number of private keys that may have been compromised and no good revocation system, even if you get the Libra SSL code to be a stable, solid, and secure piece of code, are the horses already out of the barn at this point with SSL? I don't think necessarily for SSL, because, I mean, if you think about SSL as a protocol, SSL as a protocol is an encrypted protocol at top of our socket. Yes, there's a protocol to check a certificate at either end. That's no different than, let's say, SSH, which does similar kind of, of stuff. Uh, it's up to the individual to decide how they deal with certificate revocation and all those other things. It's not in the protocol, if you, if you really, if you say it, it can be. But uh, in terms of uh, how you deal with revoked certificates or whose CAs you decide to trust, that's a whole other topic than just about SSL the protocol. And there's lots of ways you can deal with that. Uh, everything from uh, deciding you're just not going to trust arbitrary CAs or you're only going to trust a certain number, to there's no reason to even say that with SSL you have to have to believe CAs at all. You could run SSL on the sole notion of the first time I see the certificate, I save it, and I expect it to be that way forever after, the same way that it currently works with SSH. But people just aren't used to this because they're used to the way that web browsers work with SSL, which is a system designed to propagate... Uh, the CA is giving money to the browser maintainers to have themselves included, and it's a large business model. Yep. So. so OpenBSD has recently had another release, but I don't want to ask you to read the release notes, and my guess is as a developer, 5.5 for you was a long time ago. It was a long current. time ago, and 5.5 uh, was a long time ago for me. Uh, and uh, has, uh, you know, continued to go with, you know, a few things like that. Uh, I would say 5.5 in some sense has been a, a, a release to get ready for things for, for me because, again, it's been just, just fixing a few bugs here, there, and everywhere, and I haven't, uh, you know, my life was, was such that I couldn't do a lot of work on OpenBSD in the, the six months beforehand. I, it comes and goes for me whether I'm working Somewhere, working here, working there, working everywhere else. I'm an independent consultant for, for real, and uh, with other things going on, I, I, you know, had some cont contributions to five five, but not not as much as to other releases. So, and what features of, I guess, upcoming releases are you most excited about? Well, there is of course LibreSSL. I'm I'm excited and yet uh, mildly terrified about SMTPD and, and Nginx. I say mildly terrified just mm. because I have a number of of machines that I will have to convert, and will be converting soon from uh, an Apache and SendMail configuration to an Nginx and SMTP. 
configuration so and those that'll, have, those that'll take some in, effort from on my part yeah, those have been in base for many releases but just not the default just not the default yeah, yeah. they've been in base but not the default and they continue to evolve and they're now at, at a state where really they're they're probably the better choice mm -hmm. for, for anything i've actually converted a number of uh, you know simple cases already and, and particularly smtpd has been been relatively painless to mm -hmm. to convert uh, from sendmail to to smtpd and it's kind of nice to see that Obviously, every release is an opportunity to sell CDs, mm -hmm. which brings up funding, which brings up the foundation. How has that work been going in the foundation? Um, it's, uh, well, this January was a bit of, a, of a, the usual, I wouldn't say the usual, but the, the uh, sometimes frequent watershed of, you know, people aren't paying attention to what's going on in terms of funding of the project. And I don't say necessarily that we don't pay attention, but, but the outside world doesn't notice and uh, you know we were we're to a point of a bit of a funding crisis where you know Theo is wanting things funded, and I'm saying nope, there's no money there. It's not going to happen. And uh, you know Theo actually was unusually quiet about it on the lists, which is I guess it's just Theo. Uh, you can never tell when he's going to be quiet or not. Uh, and I was less quiet about it on the list, and I just said, hey, look, you know, right now we've we've spent you know twenty thousand dollars more than we brought in last year. And to continue to fund the type of development, uh, you know, events we've got, uh, it's not going to happen. It's not sustainable. The project will shut down. And that had a, a relatively sizable reaction quickly. Um, we, uh, and that was essentially right as the new year happened. Uh, we put together our, our funding goals for the year, which was try to get $150,000 raised. Um, and we, we did manage to hit that in, in relative short order. Uh, you know, some people are very happy that a lot of that was, was um, acquired by, you know, crowd, crowdsourcing type funding, you know, where everybody pitches in, everybody, you know, jumps onto PayPal and donates a bit. And, you know, the, it's really, really nice to see that kind of response. It kind of, you know, makes you happy as a developer to say, oh, well, people actually do notice and care. It's not, not a, oh, you know, it's just, that's just out there and I use it. I don't care if it, it where it is or where I get it from. So it's very nice to see that. Um, but uh, for for my purposes as as a foundation director, it's nicer to see when we get commitments from both companies and individuals for recurring donations. And I think that's where we're still trying to focus because it's 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 wonderful to be able to get that uh, involvement from the user community that that donates when you need it. But it's the the disaster-driven automata that we really want to get rid of is that I don't want to have to wait until it's a disaster to to have things happen. And so we're continuing to try to talk to various other groups and various you know companies and, and places like that who will commit to a, a regular donation to the foundation yearly uh, where we can actually have a stable base of funding that... Uh, we can budget for and we can plan for and we can say, yeah, we will be doing this every year uh, as opposed to just, here's a big pile of money and let's fix things. Um, on the other hand, you know, uh, we, we were relatively lean on the donation front in the last few years and so it's been nice to, to fix that and get away from some of our, uh, shall we say, uh, infrastructure deficit we've built up over the years. Um, I know, uh, you know, Theo gets into these modes where he just, deals with the project infrastructure and just deals with it. So I, I distinctly recall getting into his basement, helping him you know, fix and modernize some things. And it's like, there's five large GPSs. 
maintaining the, the project infrastructure. And a couple of these were so old, they had rust on the corners. One of them had bulged sides from where the batteries had exploded, dribbled all over the floor. Theo and Nadine, his wife, had carried this out to his backyard on two-by-fours. Uh, and then Theo had proceeded to rinse it, hose it out, pull the batteries out, and replace the batteries and continue to use the UPS. And this was just, you know, the, the thought of, of having UPSs go up in the data center because they're they're that old and, and grubby. And it's like, no, yeah, at this point, we just, you know, myself and Ken, the other foundation director, we said, this is crazy. Okay, now we have the money coming in. Let's fix some of this infrastructure. So we've replaced the UPSs. We've replaced some of the sensor stuff. We've replaced a bunch of the networking gear. We've added a whole new out-of-band network for uh, the port signing infrastructure. So both um, we have the signing infrastructure for releases, and that was helped by, by M-Tier as well. They donated some gear for that. But we also bought uh, a completely new serial console network, for particularly for the ports guys, that lets them get at their ports build machines and be able to power cycle them remotely and all sorts of other Good things like that to try to make the world a little bit better and easier, both for uh, uh, release builds and ports builds, to try to make the world chug along uh, in a better way for them. And I'll say that that's actually kind of exciting as well, because particularly with when, when we've been working with things like LibreSSL, or I've been doing intrusive changes to the kernel UVM layer or file systems, it's actually really, really nice to be able to push that up and, and our poor ports guys <laughs> run this on their infrastructure. And I say poor ports guys, but they're, 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 they're troopers. And they find that, you know, we've made changes to these things. And, oh, hey, look, this one worked well. Oh, this one is a problem. Come back to us. And it, it goes back and forth between the base developers and the ports developers. It's, it's nice to see that starting to work more uh, in the last uh, few years than it has in the past. And I'm, I'm happy to see that. And for the number of architectures that you support, you're not cross-compiling this. You're doing it all on real hardware. Right? No, cross-compiling doesn't work. Uh, it, it does work. It, it lets you get uh, a nice thing to be able to say we run on this platform. And we go, you know, yeah, here's our... our we, we boot on this platform. Great. And here's the prompt, DB. Um, but uh, uh, really, uh, if you don't have a working tool chain so that you can actually compile anything on that platform, uh, do you really have it working on that platform? So the only way to ensure that you keep a working tool chain on the platform is to build on that platform. Otherwise, all you're going to do, you're going to end up building a platform that can maybe boot and run. And then if you actually try to compile software with it, you discover that the tool chain has issues and is broken. And you actually cannot build software for the platform on the platform. So, yeah, we build everything natively. We do not cross-compile. And that leads, of course, to... I mean, besides not just requests for money for the foundation, but at least for OpenBSD, you'll occasionally see requests for hardware. Yeah, absolutely, you do see requests for hardware. Um, a lot of the times, the, the, the hardware we need uh, is, is weird or esoteric, and so if you have stuff that works for any of our, our um, more interesting architectures, that's fine. But honestly, uh, we tend to have less of a problem getting, shall we say, weird stuff from people who are dedicated to that weird stuff mm -hmm. uh, than we do uh, getting donations of actually modern hardware for when we need the modern gear. And uh, it would be nice to have sometimes have a little bit more of that, particularly on the lines of 10 gigabit Ethernet gear, so we can both support and use that internally. Uh, 10 gigabit Ethernet gear, modern uh, PCI, uh, mod modern uh, PCI, PCI-X gear 
modern uh, uh, systems and switches that we often end up needing to, to find and or just buy. And so sometimes, you know, and, and it's just fine to buy it. We've, we've definitely purchased a number of machines in the last few months uh, for the core infrastructure so that we can uh, modernize some things and, and throw out, you know, an i3d6 build machine that was 10 years old, for instance, where all the i3d6 releases were, were running on and just get something that uses less power and is faster and, and nicer and leaner and meaner. So. so along with handling cash, sponsoring... Uh, individual developer projects, getting hardware. Does the foundation also support the hackathons? Uh, the foundation is probably the primary source of support for the hackathons. Uh, so in a nutshell, it's probably between uh, the network uh, for the project itself, paying for that, and the, the hackathons. That's the biggest thing the foundation spends money on. What was your most recent hackathon? Uh, the most recent one we did was actually in Morocco, and I would say that that probably wasn't a hackathon as much as a whackathon, a deleteathon, because the Morocco hackathon happened uh, just as the Libra SSL issue started. We decided to fork Libra SSL uh, three days before everybody went to Morocco. Uh, we started deleting and shredding code, and then everybody who showed up in Morocco uh, probably arrived with plans for what they were going to work on and ended up working on Libra SSL and issues associated with it. So the core guys were deleting stuff from Libra SSL, were looking at the API, how we could change stuff, and the ports guys were madly dealing with what we were doing to the library and making sure everything's still built with, with uh, the ports tree. Um, and uh, so kind of interesting in that way, but uh, that did work out and, and worked out kind of interesting because a few of the people, it, it was a bit unusual because that was a small hackathon and uh, just in Morocco. A few of the Europeans went over and so the, the people who were working on, on bits of, of LibreSSL were actually ended up spread all over the world at that point and it would go cross time zone, cross time zone, cross time zone. So we would get back, you know, we would wake up in North America, Miode and Theo would have done a whole bunch of stuff and there's a large amount of discussion there. I wake up in North America and we'd do a few things and Ted, uh, Ted Unix and I would, would wake up and we'd start doing things and there'd be a whole bunch of discussion and the guy would see and scroll back and, and halfway through our day, Jay Singh would wake up in Australia and he'd start doing things and then we'd come all the way back around to Morocco and so it was not only a, a four day long, you know, Whackathon, but it was basically 24 hours a day as it cycled from you know group of developer to group of developer to group of developers around the planet um, who were all working on this at the same time. So it was kind of interesting just as it happened, just with the timing of it where it happened and and, and where everybody then happened to be geographically who was doing a lot of the the code work on it. So and whenever I hear about the hackathons. I think only half of my interest is in what you'll be doing, mm -hmm. but it's where it will be is the other half of... Well, where it will be is, is the other half, and, and the other half is part of it is, you got to remember, uh, the developers still with our hackathons, the developers generally pay their own way to get there. And so uh, we do try to find places where we can have a reasonable network, usually a, an academic site sponsor or somebody who will give us a room or a, or a, or a low-cost, reasonable place to work in with good network, 24-hour uh, access and you know reasonable places to stay that are close by and walking distance uh, and so usually the way that the hackathons work is that the foundation makes sure that we pay for the site we pay for the the stuff and we pay for the accommodation for the developers who get there and why we have them in interesting places well it's it's really not fair to ask a developer to you know put out money out of their own pocket to come do work for free 
in the same boring place every time, every year. And so, you know, we, we initially had them, uh, we started doing them in, in, uh, in Calgary, and we kept always having one in Calgary every year, and after a while we branched out a bit and went to some other places in Canada, and now we, we tend to try to have one big one every year, and we have a number of smaller ones every year that, that people can pick and choose where they want to go and what they want to work on, depending on, on what it is. And part of that is 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 just um, where it is, what's convenient for the developers. And if it's if it's a hackathon that's trying to get something in particular accomplished in a particular area, it's what works and is convenient for timing and location for the people who are working on that particular project. Piece of the project. Herding cats. Herding it's cats. A, yeah. Well, it's yeah. just... One of those things. Yeah. So. Well, I, you know, as, as always, I appreciate all the work that goes on. And for uh, OpenBSD, I am definitely a uh, recipient of all that effort. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I guess I would just encourage everyone to either donate to OpenBSD or the FreeBSD Foundation. I think donating to OpenBSD is fairly straightforward. You know, you buy the discs or you buy other things, you can just add more onto your order form. But that That's for, for the, you got to remember OpenBSD is a little bit different than the yeah. FreeBSD and the funding model. There is direct funding for the project, uh, that that's the CD sales and, and that. Um, the foundation itself, the OpenBSD Foundation in, is a Canadian not-for-profit. We cannot sell things. Mm. Okay, So we receive donations directly on the foundation site and that can be done fairly straightforward. PayPal, Bitcoin, bank transfer, check cash, all that other good stuff. Um, but I would say that if you're you're you know you're interested in in supporting OpenBSD through the foundation, you know one of the best things you can do for us is either both yourself committing to a actually recurring PayPal donation because we can see those, we can plan around those, and know that those are going to be there on a monthly basis, and or find your employer and other companies you do business with. And try to get them to commit to a yearly donation amount. That that's those kind of things are very very helpful to us to make sure that we have a a stable funding base, if you will, to try to keep doing good things. All right. Well, I guess it's probably time to get back to the conference and the talk. Some of which you help pick. We can blame you. Yeah, you can blame me. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. <laughs> Thank you. If you'd like to leave a comment or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com. You can also find them on archive.org. And if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. This has been BSD Talk number 241.